0: Healing always requires a shift in consciousness because it is a misuse of our consciousness that produced the imbalance in the first place.
1: Hi, I'm Graham Gardner, and you're listening to Adventures in Dozing, podcast number 52. Well, it's been a busy couple of months in the dowsing world. Uh, I've been kept very busy tutoring four BSD dowsing courses down in London, plus a couple of my own up in Scotland. Uh, But we're now heading into winter, it's it's the end of the dowsing season, and we're all busy planning events for next year. Now, uh, Some weeks back, I was contacted by an American author and dowser, Ned Wolfe, who asked if he could appear on the show. Ned is the author of a trilogy of dowsing-related children's books called the Nandia Trilogy, hence the episode title, and he's also a non-denominational healing minister, teacher, and water dowser, amongst other things. Uh sounded really interesting, and this is the first time that anyone has actually asked me to appear on the show, so naturally I had to agree, and we arranged a time to have a chat over Skype. Uh, Ned lives in Flagstaff, Arizona, so there was a bit of a time difference to overcome, but eventually we managed to find a mutually convenient time, and we ended up having a great chat. So today I'm talking to uh, Ned Wolf from Arizona, who is an author, a dowser, and uh, an ordained healing minister. So welcome, Ned. It's great to have you on the show.
0: Thank you, Graham. It's a pleasure to join you.
1: So I'm going to start off with my uh, usual stock question, which is, "How did you discover dowsing, and how has it changed your life?"
0: Uh-huh. great questions. Uh, I grew up in the in the countryside of Colorado, and uh, one day my father called in a water dowser because we wanted to put a well in. Okay, and I walked. I watched him wander around the property. And uh, he would come upon certain sites and say, uh, this is a good well, this is a good well site. The water will be about 27 feet below the surface. And I watched this, followed him around, and I finally said to him, how do you do that? And uh, he handed me the two L rods, and he said, well, just walk around and notice where they cross. He didn't spend an instant on trying to explain it. He just gave me the chance to experience it. So I walked around and I found a spot where the rods crossed, and I said there. And he said, "Yeah, that would be where the water would be." Well, we dug down, and that was where the water was. Hmm. Well, it answered my question. I didn't really need to know how it worked, but I sure got the demonstration that it did work.
1: So he didn't give you it, any uh, any instruction on uh, how to you know have to focus on water or.
0: No, nothing nothing other than walk around and just see where the rods cross. And I always remembered that, and then years later in my early 20s, I was working with a survey crew in the mountains of Colorado, and we spent six months out of the year working in the snow. And they said to me, well, if you want to find, if you need to locate a a point in the ground underneath the snow, or you need to find a, a utility line or whatever we were surveying for, just take these two bent rods and walk around and wherever they cross dig up the snow and you'll find the point. Now I knew it worked it worked for water and it tw- 20 years later it worked for worked for utility lines it worked for anything we were looking for. And they this was just a matter of course the survey crews would all get a pair of these rods and whenever they'd go out and need to locate something under the snow they just walk around with the rods until they crossed.
1: You know, that's so interesting. Uh, it's it's still relatively uh, uncommon, but not that rare, to see, uh, you know, a, a utility guy getting out the uh, the rods from the back of the van when they're looking for yeah. uh, cables in the street and stuff. Uh, yeah. But, of course, they don't like to talk about it very much.
0: Well, I can understand because, you know... Most of the people that I tell this story to think that I'm a little wacko, I've come unhinged, and they don't really want to talk to me too much after that.
1: So how did you uh, develop your interest, and in, in how did you, you know, continue to develop your dowsing after that? I, mean, I know a yes. lot of people sort of uh, put it aside while they get on with their careers and stuff and come back to it later in life. Is that the case right. with you?
0: Well, no, to, to an extent... Uh, It was actually a health problem I was having that led me to explore dowsing further. Uh, Probably another 10 or 15 years after the surveying work, I was now working in the corporate world as a writer, and I developed a a pretty extreme rash across my face. And uh, there was nothing that anyone seemed to be able to do about it until I heard about this medical dowser who at that point, she was living in Colorado. Her name is Hannah Kroger, and very well known as a, as a very effective medical dowser. And she, she did a test for me uh, with a witness and determined that I had a kidney issue and recommended a few vibrational remedies. And within six months, the problem, actually probably six weeks is more like it, the problem was completely cleared up. And I was so impressed with those results that I said to Hannah, how can I learn how to use dowsing for health? And I undertook a a number of years' worth of study with her and learned how to use a pendulum in that way and also learned how to use radionics equipment, which is really just a a very sophisticated pendulum, Uh, learned how to use radionics equipment to produce vibrational remedies that support health. And I've been doing that work for over 30 years with very successful results.
1: Okay. and uh, I know in the UK, uh, radionics is almost uh, classed as a separate discipline to dowsing, but that's not so much the case in the States, though, I understand.
0: Well, and I can appreciate both points of view. The reason I consider it a part of dowsing is it, basically there are two reasons. One is that for those who aren't familiar with radionics, It is a science based on the fundamental principle that everything has its own unique vibration and that vibrational frequency can be determined with a pendulum or by dowsing. So radionic rates or frequencies are determined by dowsing and many radionics instruments which are designed to produce that frequency and the way I use them is to have it produce a frequency, and then I imbue a a remedy of distilled water or lactose pellets with that frequency that then a client will take a number of times a day until their symptoms clear up. The thing about most current radionics instruments is that they have uh, a feature called a stick plate. And a stick plate is simply a plate that you rub with a forefinger and if you get it, if that finger if that finger sticks while you're rubbing, you it's the indication you have a suitable frequency for the problem you're working on. Well, that's just that, that's just dowsing, as a matter of fact. So, sure. Yeah,
1: that's that, that's your dowsing reaction. Yeah.
0: Yes, exactly right. Uh, it's like muscle testing. A strong muscle reaction is positive. Uh, weak muscle reaction is negative. A stick on it. A stick or the fact that the, the finger movement stops is an indication of a positive. A slide is an indication of a negative. So it uses dowsing inner circuitry within the operator just as much as a pendulum does or just as much as kinesiology does. So that's why I call radionics just a sophisticated application of dowsing.
1: Sure. Uh, and what sort of equipment is involved in, in the radionics?
0: Well, again, there are many sophisticated applications these days, but the ones that I use and the ones that that have been in use for a long time are instruments. One instrument I have is powered by nothing but quartz crystals. The instrument is basically set up with rheostats on it that are calibrated so you can set it to a particular rate or frequency. The instrument, in addition, has the capacity, what's called a well, in which you can insert a bottle of, say, distilled water, and the instrument will then project that frequency into the water. So basically, that's all we're talking about, is a is a box with a source of energy. Like I say, one that I have is quartz. The one that I use most frequently is actually plugged into the PowerPoint in the wall, uh, but it's... A series of rheostats that are set to calibrate to specific specific frequencies and then project that frequency or transmit that frequency into a carrier substance.
1: Mm hmm. That's it a, how
0: I. Yeah.
1: Sorry. Uh, was it a, a conscious decision to work mainly in this sort of modality or is this something you just drifted into?
0: No, actually, it, it was conscious, very, very much so. I, at the time, had left the corporate world and realized that I wanted to dedicate my energy to supporting people in their healing, nurturing individuals in their growth. And I was looking for modalities that fit three specific criteria. And those were, the modality had to be absolutely safe, no chance at all of producing harmful side effects. The second was that the modality had to be very low cost, that it was available to anyone who wanted to take advantage of it. And the third, and perhaps the most important, is that it had to demonstrate to me without the shadow of a doubt that it was absolutely effective. And those are the three criteria by which I went and explored a number of different modalities And dowsing and the use of vibrational frequencies proved to me to be very effective, so much so that I was willing to put my neck on the line and say to clients, I have seen this work, let's give it a try.
1: Well, yeah, that's a very uh, good attitude to have, I think, you know, there's nothing to say it won't work, so let's try it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly right.
1: <laughs> so, uh, when you tell people outside the the dozing world about this sort of stuff, uh, are they surprised? Uh, do you get many uh, reactions that are against what you're doing?
0: Well, no, I don't get many reactions against it. Other than, like I say, once you know, there there are people who who are doubters and skeptics, and I certainly respect that point of view. If they're willing to explore it, I'll explore it with them, but. It's interesting, in working with dowsing for people's health and healing, most of the clients that come through my door, and it's all by word of mouth, most of the clients that come through my door are people who have had some kind of chronic ailment, and they have been pursuing their recovery from that ailment for substantial lengths of time with the medical profession and been quite unsatisfied with their results. So these are people who are looking for alternatives, they don't know what's going to work, and they're exploring different options to see what will be effective. I think part of the conversation, I certainly know that part of the conversation I have with clients is to talk to them from this dowsing perspective that, well, we are beings that have access to the inner realms of knowledge. That's what about. is about. Dowsing is a tool with which we can find information from deeper recesses of the self. Now, if, if you accept that there are deeper recesses, there is an energy being, there is a being of spirit who actually is residing in this body, and that being of spirit has access to all sorts of information that consciously or rationally we don't know how we access, Then we can have a conversation with someone who's suffering from a chronic ailment about what were the forces that put that ailment in place. And even more importantly, what are the forces that are keeping the natural process of healing from being effective with this particular chronic ailment?
1: Right, so the dozing is really a, a causative tool, really, to find out what the, the cause of the problem is.
0: Exactly right. And then, carrying that further, what would be the remedies that would be most effective? Sometimes, for example, I'll ask when a person suffering from a chronic, say, lower back pain that, in, that proves, proves that out to be a kidney issue, I will talk to them about their attitudes that they may have that are self-critical or even self-hateful, because the vibrations that our thoughts are very powerful creative actions. The vibrations of self-criticism or self-hate are extremely powerful in a destructive way. Often that destruction can focus on the kidney area in the body. So perhaps a remedy would be an attitude change, more so than a vibrational, say, uh, Oh, uh, the frequency for what's called reno, uh, pardon me, renal osteodystrophy, uh, though there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of options for any different ailment. But very often, especially with chronic conditions, I work with clients to see, well, how are they using their own mental energies in a way that's compromising their natural ability to heal?
1: Sure. Can you tell me what's the, uh, your most successful outcome or one of your most successful outcomes?
0: Well, I, I don't categorize them in my memory that way, but I can certainly tell you of many outcomes that are very favorable. Uh, one client had been incapacitated in his ability to work. He's, he was He is what's known as a rigger here and works on construction sites in mining the mining industry. Uh, His inability to work was based on lower back pain. Uh, We worked on the mental side of it for a while and he noticed a little result. Then we started looking at vibrational frequencies and discovered that there were some nerve impingements in the lumbar area, in the lower part of his back, we found frequencies for that, and I prepared some remedies for him, distilled water with the frequencies imbued within it. And within three or four weeks, he was calling me up and saying, I have not had a relief from my pain like this for years. Mm-hmm. And he, can, he continued to improve. He he raves about how the remedies that he's taken have been so effective in clearing that chronic back pain. Uh, and, he of course, he's gone back to work and struggling now with, oh, well, I've got to catch up and learn, and I've got to, you know, he deals with new challenges. But the fun thing about it is that he realizes, ah, what he thought was chronic, that he would have to suffer with the rest of his life, he actually had the ability to heal. He has firsthand experience of that. And that has served him very well.
1: Okay. Uh, do you find that people with sort of um, psycho spiritual problems will call the problem back in after you've treated them?
0: Ah, oh, that's a great question, Graham. Uh, healing, my, and I say this to clients all the time healing always requires a shift in consciousness because it is a misuse of our consciousness that produced the imbalance in the first place. Yes, there are certainly many ways that people can cope with symptoms. Medicine often will uh, provide a chemical remedy that will numb pain or or send the signal somewhere else in the body so that you don't notice the pain. But if you don't allow yourself to examine the way of thinking that produced the problem, and it may not always be a conscious process, it could it's certainly possible it occurs in the dream time. If you don't make the adjustment to the misuse in consciousness that produced the sickness or the imbalance, then the symptoms can clear up, but you'll bring them right back again. I have a, uh, if, if you don't mind, I'll share my own personal experience of that, that was very telling about my way of thinking. Many years ago, I was troubled by reoccurring headaches, and I worked with them and focused on the sensation, located it, did deep breathing exercises, and actually found that there was a technique using deep breathing and mental focus on the actual location of the pain where the pain would begin to ease. And so I was work I was noticing this was working, and I continued focusing on it. And within a few short sessions I had the experience of suddenly, instantly, the pain disappeared. It was it disappeared so suddenly that I was surprised. And my, and I heard myself say in my own mind, Oh my God, where did that go? I'm not ready for it to be done yet. And that pain came immediately right back. <laughs> and it was a very telling moment because there was an issue I had to look at underlying a belief that I wasn't quite ready to heal. Yeah. And very often the two attitudes that we carry around as people that impair impair this natural healing ability is blame or self-pity. And in this case, I realized, well, I was getting some pity, some sympathy from people around me about these headaches, and that would allow me to lay down and not have to work on, you know, mowing the lawn or taking out the garbage. Oh, well, Ned's got a headache, so we'll just let him be. And I could kind of, relax a little bit with his headache and if it was going to go away suddenly I had to step up and address that I was doing some things in my life I really didn't want to do but I didn't have the nerve to get honest about it
1: yeah no it's, I always find it interesting uh you know in in my line of dowsing I'm mostly treating geopathic stress in buildings yes. but you get a very similar thing where the client is so used to that energy in the building they're not willing to let it go Yes. And they feel worse when it's not there.
0: Yes, it's interesting. It's an interesting phenomenon where we start identifying with our symptoms of imbalance, and we say, well, that's just who I am. If I let go of the imbalance, if it heals, I've got to change my notions of who I am. And that can be quite a frightening prospect. Hi, my name is Susan Collins, what I really enjoy about dowsing is finding people all over the world who share common interests, and wherever we go, we find people with the same heart, and that's what I like about dowsing. You are listening to Adventures in Dowsing from the British Society of Dowsers.
1: We were saddened to hear of the recent passing of Brother James Kimpton of the Reaching the Unreached charity in southern India. Uh, The BSD has uh, long supported his work for many years with the uh, Water for Life charity and uh, Brother Kimpton, working uh, out in Tamil Nadu, had doused over the course of several decades out there more than 2,400 boreholes, so he will be sadly missed. Somebody else who will be sadly missed is our own Kate Fortledge, who'd been a BSD member since 1988 and was a founding member of the Dowsing Research Group. Uh, Kate was a tireless supporter of Brother Kimpton's work, and at every BSD conference and other event that she attended, she would uh, raise money with raffles and uh, you know other events to try and get some money for Water for Life, which would be sent out to support Brother Kimpton's work. End of an era. Now, as I'm recording this, it's the beginning of December, and uh, if you're in the UK, you might have noticed that there's been a fair bit of publicity about dowsing in the last couple of weeks. Uh, This arose because a young science student and blogger, Sally LePage, who is studying for a PhD in evolutionary biology at Oxford University, uh, something involving fruit flies, I believe, uh, heard from her parents that they had a waterboard engineer in their garden trying to locate a pipe using a pair of dowsing rods. Well, this was a complete anathema to uh, Sally, of course, so she embarked on a Twitter campaign to try and find out how many other water companies will admit to using dowsers. And out of the 12 UK companies that responded, she found that 10 of them uh, say that their technicians sometimes use dowsing rods, in addition to all the other high-tech devices, of course. So a major uh, Twitter war erupted with this, and the, the mainstream media got hold of it. So there was uh, lots of radio interviews, newspaper interviews. Uh, the BSD's office manager, Faye Palmer, appeared on a couple of radio programs and was interviewed in the um, the Herald. Um, I had an appearance on Radio Scotland and a full-page article in the Sunday Post newspaper, where I was teaching their reporter how to douse. There's even been a couple of um, ad hoc dowsing tests that uh, were successful on uh, the Jeremy Vine show on Radio 2 and on uh, Radio West Midlands, I think. Now, of course, dowsing one bucket out of three to see if it contains water is hardly a good scientific test. Um, And in fact, any laboratory testing of that ilk does not work well for dowsing. We know that. The, the the most extensive testing that has been done on dowsing is known as the Munich experiments where um, dowsers were asked um, to douse pipes containing water that were under the floor of a barn, and the pipes could be moved about. Now the results of that are hailed by the sceptics as conclusive proof that dowsing doesn't work, but it really depends on who is interpreting the data. I have seen uh, other peer-reviewed studies of that where the data has been randomised and it shows that there is a definite effect for a small group of the dowsers. That was enough for the German government to initiate a long-term scheme in Sri Lanka where they had some dowsers uh, going out there uh, who found over 600 wells and they did it in a faster time and with much more success than hydrogeologists working on the same project. You know, dowsing's a very practical thing. Uh, If it doesn't work, then these people wouldn't do it. I'm all for civilised debate on this, but uh, the attitude of these pseudo-sceptics is um, arrogant, pejorative, and downright insulting. You know, they use denigratory terms like um, it's Harry Potter, magic, uh, witchcraft, it's medieval practice, uh, and divination, you know, deliberately trying to conflate dowsing with the likes of Ouija boards, animal entrails, tea leaf reading, and so on. This is not science, this is not a scientific attitude, and this is not a sceptical attitude. A true sceptic examines the evidence for themselves, and then questions and disagrees with opinions, but never rushes to a judgement and resists the urge to jump to any conclusions. If a sceptic is not willing to go out and try dowsing for themselves, they can't really say they know that it doesn't work. You know, you've got to give it a shot. Uh, Sally has been invited to appear on primetime television alongside a professional water dowser, but she now has declined to do that, and on her Twitter feed she says, uh, I didn't want to lend credence to an unscientific demonstration masquerading as a scientific experiment, so I politely declined. Divination shouldn't be up for debate. Now, one of the main arguments that the pseudo-skeptics keep coming out with is that dowsing is the ideomotor effect uh, which states that the rods are moving in response to subconscious muscle contractions in your wrists that are triggered by something going on in your subconscious. Well, of course it is. The rods do not move by themselves. What is interesting is what's going on in the subconscious, and where is that getting the stimulus from? The second argument you often hear is that the dowser is picking up subconscious clues from the surrounding environment. Like, uh, perhaps the grass is a slightly different colour, or there's a change in the elevation of the terrain, something like that. Well, maybe it is. You know, maybe that is what uh, the dowser is subconsciously picking up, and and the rods are moving in response to that subconscious stimuli. What's wrong with that? And if that is true, why can't people without dowsing rods do the same? I mean, all that's really proving is that dowsing works best in the field and not under laboratory conditions, which we know. Artificial test conditions will produce artificial results. We think dowsing is intimately connected with the consciousness of the dowser in some way that's not fully understood, and consciousness is an area of study that mainstream science is not comfortable investigating. A proper investigation of dowsing is is going to require long-term observations and recording of dowsers at work in the field. Not everything in life can be proven by laboratory testing. What this whole debacle has demonstrated is the the vehemence with which the sceptical community will attack anything that doesn't fit into their reductionist materialism worldview. They continue to preach that dowsing does not and cannot work, yet refuse to actually try it from themselves. If you're calling dowsing witchcraft, then that makes you the Inquisition. Let's think about that for a moment. These pseudo-skeptics are behaving exactly the same as fundamentalist religious zealots in their devotion to their religion, which is scientism. Their prophet is James Randi, who is not a scientist. He's a stage conjurer. They keep citing his million-dollar challenge as if that's some sort of proof of scientific veracity, which it is not. Science is a method, not a religion. What has been encouraging is the response from the general public and other dowsers, and you know, people have written into the newspapers and posted on social media about their dowsing success stories. So we should at least be grateful to Sally LePage for raising the public profile of dowsing, and if there are any sceptical people out there, uh, my suggestion to you would be to you know, go along to a BSD meeting and uh, give it a shot for yourself. You might be surprised. Okay, enough of my rant. Let's get back to our interview with uh, Ned Wolfe. And this is quite an appropriate point to rejoin the interview, uh, because, of course, dowsing doesn't work all of the time. So uh, I asked Ned if he could tell us a couple of stories about uh, the times it didn't work for him. What uh, what sort of things uh, give you problems with your dowsing and your radionics? What what things stop it working for you?
0: Uh, I was hoping you'd ask this question. I, th- I think that dowsers, I, now I do dowsing workshops and uh, everywhere I go because I have written a, a series of books about dowsing. These are, these are adventure stories. It's kind of a new genre, adventure stories uh, called the Nandia Trilogy, N-A-N-D-I-A, Nandia Trilogy, where set in the future, dowsers, people who are effective healers, are sent out to deal with chronic problems in a society. The first book, Nandia's Copper, deals with the problem of epidemics. They encounter one of the common blocks to dowsing during this adventure. And this was written into the story, but I want to tell you how I learned about this. There was a Canadian water dowser who, was, who had an impeccable reputation. He always located water. It was always there. And he was well known for his great skill, his great effectiveness in dowsing, and spent many years in a very successful dowsing practice. One day he was on a particular farm looking for water. His dowsing indicated a location. The drilling crew was on site. He dowsed and said, yeah, it'll be 87 feet down there. You'll find water. They drilled 87 feet, no water. He was completely surprised. It had never happened. His record was impeccable. He wandered around the farmyard some more, found a second site, second depth. They drilled a second time. Same result, no water. It happened another time, the third time, and then he threw in the towel and said, I don't know what's going on here. My dowsing's obviously not working. I, let's pack it up. And they, the drilling crew went home. He asked the farmer if he could get a few dollars for his travel expenses, and the farmer was handing him a few bucks for that. But the farmer was obviously frustrated, disgruntled, unhappy, and he was saying, I should have, the farmer was telling the dowser, I should have listened to my father's advice years ago and gone into mining because there's a huge zinc deposit under this property, and... I could have been mining zinc rather than trying to find water to grow this corn out here. And this this piqued the dowser's interest. So he went home and he started dowsing at home where he knew his dowsing was effective. And he found out through his dowsing that zinc actually can impede the energy, the flow of energy that accurately allows us to dows or that allows us to dows accurately. He also found that the presence of copper will neutralize that impedance or that that blocking effect from zinc. So thereafter, whenever he went dowsing, he dowsed with a copper bracelet around his left arm, and that solved the problem. That actually, that impediment to dowsing became one of the factors in the first book of the Nandia trilogy, Nandia's Copper, they had to discover first that zinc was the disruptive force and second that copper would neutralize it. So that is one of the one of the issues that I, I try to teach all dowsing students is to be aware of the presence of zinc because it's in our it's in our electrical conduits here in America, it's in the undercoating of our automobiles, it's in what's often put as an additive in inserts for shoes as a deodorant. There's zinc all over the place, and if it does if we've got enough of it, it can be an impediment. Now, other impediments that I think dowsing many dowsing students are aware of or dowsers are aware of, are simple things like like simply being dehydrated in the body. Uh, being too tired will certainly impede dowsing. And these are the ones that I noticed specifically for myself. I'd say Uh, dehydration tiredness and the third one is blood sugar imbalance if we're not watching what's happening with our blood sugar we try to douse when our blood sugar is either spiking high or spiking low and our results can often be cattywampus as they say skewed yeah Uh, so those are the three big ones I think others if there's an emotional uh, I'd say an emotional troublesome experience you're having that you're not at peace with. It could be anger, it could be frustration, it could be sadness. But if you're not in a place where you are emotionally at peace, I would suggest that dowsing's not the activity to engage in at the moment, but instead, take care of yourself so you can restore your emotional equanimity.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's so important to be uh, emotionally balanced when you're trying to do something, especially yeah. a water-dowsing job where you're under a lot of pressure oh, yes. to get results. Yes, exactly right.
0: Now, there are, there are other, there, there's a mental, mental issues too. If I happen to be uh, blaming someone for a problem, that'll block my dowsing. Just like blame, the energy of blame blocks healing, well, blame blocks the access to effective dowsing self-pity blocks healing it also blocks the effectiveness of dowsing so what's your what's my mental attitude at the time that I'm dowsing if I'm feeling sorry for myself if I'm blaming you know my partner because you know the, I'm upset at her because the the bills are overdue whatever then that's not a time to be dealing with picking up my pendulum I'll tell you uh there have been times when I've had to say to clients, you know, right now, I'm not in a place where I can douse. I'm very sorry. I wish I was, but I need to be doing some other activities before my dowsing will be in a place I can trust it. I think that fundamentally, every dowser who has a practice and is effective with their dowsing knows to identify those times when it's not working and to back off. Rather than try to bull your way through it and say, oh, well, I can make it work. And the conscious mind can certainly get in there and move the pendulum in whatever way your rational mind says it should. But the difficulty is you're often operating with a blocked doorway to that inner source of knowledge and wisdom that you're really wanting to access when you are dowsing.
1: Sure. Uh, so do you have any uh, uh, top tips for a novice dowser to enhance their dowsing ability?
0: Yes. I, I several. I'd say for a novice dowser, one of the things to realize is that practice is the answer. The more you douse, the better you will be. I have used my dowsing every day for over 30 years and I, and you know, I realize it has that practice alone has contributed hugely to my effectiveness. Whenever I pick up a pendulum, I first start with the affirmation. I douse impeccably. It's a way of programming my subconscious. It's a way of programming my conscious mind and saying, I'm going to set aside everything else other than I'm trusting I have access to that inner self where that reservoir of knowledge resides that I'm seeking to access. I trust it. I douse impeccably. And if I get any signals inside me, usually there's a feeling of discomfort if if I've got something going on that I'm trying to ignore. If I'm feeling a little angry and I'm trying to ignore it, I'll start feeling uncomfortable as I'm dowsing and that's my signal, it's time to stop. So if novice dowsers will recognize that it's very natural to have times when it's not appropriate and to learn what those signals are that your body and your subconscious send you, when you're not dowsing effectively, you will enhance your effectiveness immeasurably. Start with the affirmation, I only dows effectively. I only dows impeccably. And again, attend to those matters that you know are parts of taking care of your own body. Do I have enough water in the system? Am I breathing deeply? Am I emotionally at a state of peace? Is my blood sugar a state of balance? For example, if I'm feeling too hungry, not the time to douse. If my body's sending messages, hey, it's time to have a little food, get the food. If my body's sending messages, hey, it's time to rest, get the rest. Then do the dowsing. I think those are important things. And in our, in our busy work-a-day world, we can often feel like, oh, I've got to take care of this client and get done by 1.30 because I've got a 2 o'clock client coming in and blah, 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 blah. And we justify ignoring the messages our body's sending us.
1: Sure, yeah. So, it's, it's so important to listen to the signals that your body is giving you.
0: Yeah. So definitely do it. Practice it daily or as close to daily as you can. Definitely learn to listen to your own signals. Give up any pride or ego issues that will not let you be honest with yourself when it's not appropriate to be dowsing dowsing is a fabulous tool for learning self-honesty which is necessary if we're going to travel into the realms where this information is and you you mentioned the spiritual realms I think that's what we're talking about we're talking about dowsing is a tool that accesses our spiritual knowledge our intuition if you will and we need to be true to ourselves to go through that doorway novice dowsers recognizing that Will be far ahead in their ability.
1: Great. Uh, No, since we've mentioned the spiritual realms, uh, I was going to ask you to tell us a bit more about the Essene healing stuff that you do. The Essene healing ministry. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, we have had this organization. It's uh, it's it's got its own website, which I can mention. It's www.sevenfoldpeace.com. Uh. It's been around for probably thirty years now, and we, a group of us, came together because we so respected the the teachings of the ancient Essenes, people who lived around the time of Christ, who were renowned for their wisdom, their healing ability, for their long lives, for their health. These people were known to live to be one hundred and twenty-five years old, and in fact the Romans would capture them and torture them, trying to get them to reveal the secrets to their longevity. But these people were people who knew how to access the spiritual realms. They did that through the realms of nature. They said that the realms of nature will naturally lead us to the inner realms of spirit. And so they had great reverence for being at peace with their own bodies, reverence for how to relate to and communicate with the earth, with the energy of the air, with the consciousness of water, with the energy of the sun. These were different vibrations that they recognized were conscious, with which they could communicate, and in doing so, they learned much more about themselves as beings of spirit, as opposed to simply time and space physical phenomenon. They were interesting people in that through, in their history, in their tradition, they're the only people that we have any knowledge of who were able to transcend death and ascend, if you will, uh, Christ being one of them, and he, of course, was one of the, if you study his background and the background of his tribe and his parents, they were connected with Essene communities. So there's a lot of ancient wisdom And their wisdom, by the way, was very interesting because it certainly included dowsing. Their their community started about 300 B.C. when a group of them were unhappy with the religious restraints and restrictions in Jerusalem. And they said, we're going to start a community out in the desert. And so a group of them went out in the desert. And of course, their first work was to make it sustainable. So who would you take to go out into the desert to find a place to live that was sustainable, you would take the water dowsers. They're the first people you want on your list. Of course. And of course, they did, and they built sustainable communities, and 20 years later, they could bring their families out and their children out, and they developed communities where they became ultimately spiritual centers for teaching and learning. This is what the beginning of that is seen expression was around the time of Christ. It started because they had dowsers who knew enough about connecting with their own spiritual self so they could listen to the energy of the earth and find water. It's because we have been in this day and age, the group of us were inspired by that wisdom that we decided to start the Essene healing ministries as a non-denominational ministry a spiritual organization that recognized our presence as spirit and could apply that to our work with people supporting their healing so there's there's some background on it
1: okay uh, so yeah I, I'll, if, I'll put a link on the, uh, the the webpage so that people can find your website easily enough
0: right and there is the website for the books of course www.nandias n a n d i a s copper. Nandia's Copper.com has having to do with that block to dowsing that they discovered. Uh, if I may go on for a minute, Graham, there sure. was something that, that I learned about dowsing. Uh, for many years, I lived in Australia and loved the study of the indigenous people there. Their, their society, sixty to eighty thousand years, is the oldest sustainable society that we have any human record of. And these people were very interesting in how they would discover which herbs were useful for their healing. They were taught as children to go out into the bush and just wander around, let themselves wander wherever their body felt like going, and to keep in their consciousness the idea of the illness that they were wanting to recover from. They were wanting to heal. So they'd wander around with mentally focusing on the illness, and then all they had to do, they were taught, listen to the plants sing. And whichever plant sings the loudest is the one to use for this particular illness. This is how they developed their dowsing abilities to find the herbs that were useful for their healing, and this worked for sixty to 80,000 years. Yeah. When the English got to Australia and started encountering aboriginal communities, one of the things that their naturalist wrote back to England saying was, their children are the happiest children I've ever seen anywhere. An amazing thing to think about. Well, there was a society that was quite ancient, based entirely upon their relationship with the natural world. And they learned how to douse. They learned how to communicate with the energies of the natural world. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, actually, as an aside there, I've just been uh, reading an incredible book called The Memory Code by Lynn Kelly. And yes. uh, she discusses how the uh, indigenous people in Australia uh, encoded their knowledge as a non-literate culture uh, you yes. know, by using points in the landscape to create the song lines. And they stored all their knowledge of the herbs just in a yes. verbal form.
0: Yes. Isn't that a lovely thing? Yes. And, and the whole, I mean, that's the foundation for even the notion of water dowsing. The whole foundation is nature wants to communicate with our consciousness. Absolutely. Can we, can we set aside the rational intellect in, our, in order to allow the intuitive information to come through? And I think this, this is one thing I think is very important for novice dowsers to realize Dowsing is a technique, is a teaching that supports us in melding, in marrying our intellects with our intuition. Unfortunately, today's education system has, for many years, promoted intellect over intuition, and so our rational thought tends to dominate and often shut out our intuitive thoughts. But dowsing helps us bring those into balance so they work together. They were meant to work together. Allowing intuition certainly enhances the intellect. Respecting the intellect will certainly enhance the intuition, but we've got to do it in a way that does not diminish access to either one. I have an interesting story about that if I've got a minute to go on.
1: Sure. Yeah. I'm nodding sagely as you're talking here. So.
0: <laughs> ah, very good. Well, I was, this was many years ago. This was before I'd moved to Australia, and I was living in Seattle, working in my practice. That's where my practice actually started. And, uh, and I was troubled by the fact that I seemed to be unable to easily access inner knowledge, inner wisdom. I would do daily meditations, and yet it, something seemed to be blocking it. And I was asking in meditations and doing all, everything I knew to find out what's getting in the way. Now, at that time in my life, I was an avid bike rider, and I was riding my bicycle, or uh, setting up to ride on a 200-mile ride from Seattle to Portland on my bicycle. I was up at 4 in the morning. I was going through my storeroom, gathering the tube repair kits and the tools and the water bottles that I needed, and I was half asleep, but just doing, throwing things in the bag, And I heard a message very clearly in my mind. The message was, take the black electrical tape. Now, immediately, my intellect wanted to argue that point. I heard myself saying, wait a minute, this is a bike ride. I don't need electrical tape. Every ounce I carry, I've got to pedal up every hill and down every hill for 200 miles. I'm paring this down, no extra weight. That makes no sense. And when I heard myself say, carrying black electrical tape makes no sense, I suddenly realized that was my intellectual mind's mantra to dismiss an idea that wasn't rational. I used it all the time. And as soon as I decreed it makes no sense, I'd throw it out, I'd dismiss it. That was what I'd been looking for. How do I shut down my inner messages? So I picked up the electrical tape and threw it in my bag, said, We'll see what happens here. An hour later, I was at the starting line. This is like a human migration. There are 10,000 people in this ride. And off we go, except it was a rainy, muddy, cold day. Well, by 1 o'clock in the morning, I'd gone, or 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I'd gone 90 miles. I was muddy and soaked, I'd been run off the road by a truck and I was cranky, and I'll tell you, I was not a happy chappy, I rode into a grove of trees that was where the lunch stop was, and I set my bike up next to a tree, and I was just upset. I turned around, and here comes a complete stranger riding in right behind me, he sets his bike right up next to a tree next to mine and he looks at me and i'm not making this up he says first thing he says is you wouldn't happen to have any black electrical tape would you <laughs> my bike seat is falling apart it's gotten so soggy and the only thing that's going to save this ride is black i handed it to him. i said you don't need to explain now it makes sense
1: <laughs> that's a great story <laughs> yeah. So, Ned, uh, what's coming up for you in the in the next few months? Do you have any sort of public speaking engagements or presentations or anything?
0: Uh, well, I've got I've got a lot to of that coming up, Graham. Uh, my third book of the Nandia trilogy is coming out. It's called Nandia's Children. I I've been working on it, getting its final editing done for the last few months, and it just got uh, sent out to the book designer. The cover art is getting uh, supplied this week, so it's all falling into place. This is kind of a milestone because this has been a five-year labor of love producing this trilogy, and now with book three coming out to hit the streets, uh, certainly within December of this year, uh, I've got lined up a tour. tour events. I'll be doing some events here in Flagstaff where I live, uh, in December and January, and then I'm off to Palm Springs, San Francisco in Austin, Texas. So that's uh, my immediate agenda for the next few months. Uh, I like to participate in the Tucson Book Festival, which is held in March, and I'm also a musician. They like to, they invite me to uh, to play on tunes on my soprano sax while I'm not... Uh, shamelessly flogging my books so both of those activities i enjoy doing and i'll be in tucson as well
1: and do you ever make it along to any of the uh, national dowsing conventions
0: yes as a matter of fact uh, this year i was uh, a workshop presenter and also gave talks about dowsing for health and healing at the american society of dowsing i've given similar talks to local chapters Uh, here in Phoenix, the Verde Valley Dowsers, and also the Tucson Dowsers in Oregon, to the Portland Dowsers, uh, and Santa Fe in the, what they call the Coca Pelle Dowsers Association. So just this last year, I've been busy with those. Oh, pardon me, and also did a dowsing workshop uh, to a group in Denver when I was there as well. So I try to get to as many dowsing Conventions and organizations as I can to talk about these ideas and share my stories about black electrical tape and water dowsing at eight years
1: old. Well, I'm sorry I missed you because I was at the American convention as well this year.
0: Oh, you were! You were there in all in Saratoga Springs. Saratoga
1: Springs, jolly you know nice! It oh. was too. Yeah.
0: Yes, well, it was lovely. I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to meet there.
1: Yeah, but uh, anyway, I'm glad we've had the time to have a chat on Skype. Yes. Very good.
0: And I hope hopefully I'll be getting to your island one of these days, Graham, and get a chance to meet you and perhaps talk to similar folks with a similar interest as well.
1: That would be great. Uh, I'm hoping um, next year I'm aiming for the West Coast Conference, if that's happening again, which I think it is.
0: Yes, I've been talking to folks, trying to connect with them about that. I don't have specific dates, but I will certainly be planning on being there as well.
1: Yeah, well, maybe we can meet there.
0: Yes, that'd be great.
1: Uh, Okay, Ned, well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, and thanks for uh, asking to come on the show. You're you're the first person that's actually asked to come on the show. (laughs) I'm Uh so glad you did.
0: Well, thank you. I am too. It's been a lovely chance to get to know you a little bit more and to share my passions for teaching this business of dowsing to folks because it's it's a wonderful tool to support us growing in all dimensions of who we are.
1: Well, many thanks to Ned there for what turned out to be a really interesting chat. I hope you'll agree. And I'll put up some links to Ned's websites on the uh, main podcast page at adventuresanddowsing.com, where you can also leave comments on individual episodes, if you so wish. If you have any other comments, you can, of course, email me on podcast at adventuresanddowsing.com, and we'd particularly like to hear from you if, like Ned, you enjoy the show and feel that you have something to contribute, And please do get in touch. So that's going to do it for this episode uh, Thanks as ever to Not For Pussies Ian Pegler and Hilary Brooks for the music I hope you have a peaceful festive season and that you can join me in the new year for more Adventures in dowsing.